This podcast is for mature audiences 18 and over and for entertainment purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider before pursuing any of our topics discussed. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, the place to get play, sex, and nutrition talk straight to your ears. Hey lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Kat. So I've been single for a hot minute, and a girlfriend was asking me about my dating life. Now, people ask that question all the time, but it wasn't until this time that I actually thought about the question. Dating. Do I date? And what does that even mean to date? The image that immediately pops up into my mind is a series of conversations over dinner or walks on the beach or movies with some dude or some woman figuring out if you're a good fit or not. And then next person, please. And then I wondered about all the friends and the clients that I have who complain about this whole process of dating, especially here in LA where we often experience the complexities of online dating, career priority, and the paradox of choice where nobody actually chooses because there are so many choices and then next one may be the better one. So how do we navigate this in the best possible way? Well, lucky you, we get to into the Tao of dating. <laughs> get that? Instead of how to dating, it's the Tao to. Well, I've got the author of the Tao of dating, Ali. I'm going to pause because I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Oh, Ali Benazir. Benazir. Perfect. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, I've got the author of The Tao of Dating, Ali Benazir, here to guide us through the dating with the least amount of pain as possible. Right? But before we get to Ali... Ladies, if you've been wanting to finally meet your wild self and step into the world that is free of all the heaviness and the constriction of past messages to claim your power and pleasure, I want to invite you to come with me into the Mayan jungles to rewild. Yes, our undone is taking over Tulum for six days to unlock, undo, and unleash your most primal and pleasurable self. Embodiment practices deep dive into the understanding of your erotic map, song vocal activation, and more. So check out undoneyoga.com slash retreats for more information. Ah, now I want to thank you all for tuning in, for sharing the podcast, writing these reviews, and letting me know how this has all rocked your sex world. Because literally, it's my pleasure. <laughs> and this is my goal, to help you to eat, play, and sex better. But if you haven't already, please head to eatplaysex.com where you can subscribe to the show, connect with me, and read more about how you can up-level your sex love and vitality. Now to our awesome guest that I'm so excited to have on the show because he's going to help me with my dating life and all the things. (laughs) Hi, Ali. Hello, Kat. How are you? Oh my God. He he just comes booming in with that voice. (laughs) 
so happy to have you on today to, to share us all your magical secrets. Thrilled to be here and uh, fortuitous that I happen to be in town. So, Oh, got you. <laughs> Dr. Ali Benazir is a happiness engineer and the author of The Tao of Dating, The Smart Woman's Guide to Being Absolutely Irresistible. Oh, this sounds so good to me. And this book was the highest rated dating book in Amazon since 2010, which is amazing for me too. Like, how do you even do that? Uh, I had no idea, but the fact that I have not been run out of town for writing this book is good enough for me. <laughs> Why would anybody want to run you out of town with a title like that? Uh, you know, a guy talking about how women should run their lives is always going to be a precarious thing. Oh, so, got it. Uh, okay. It's like, allow me to mansplain this for you. Do you so. get that? Um, only every other day. So Really? Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Okay. I can't no, but it's a legitimate question. It's like, okay, you're a dude. How are you qualified to comment on this? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, like with that though, I think we can gain, I mean, it's so much more perspective, right? Mm -hmm. We can gain because there's so many, there's infinite amount of perspectives in this world. Mm -hmm. And so to hear from a man and their experiences of women can also be just as rich. Uh, well, the way I configured it was that I'm not trying to be a facsimile of a woman. There's three and a half billion people better qualified to do that. Rather, <laughs> I just thought, hey, look, I'm the end user. I'm the, I'm the consumer, right? I'm the, I'm the guy who's being dated upon. So I can tell you, oh, this thing you did, that was irresistible. This other thing you did, meh, maybe slightly more resistible. Ah. So, uh, so that's, the, that's the viewpoint. Oh, I love it. Okay. So you also do... <laughs> I've seen you on multiple of your TED Talks. You have hmm. three out there. There are three TEDx Talks, yeah. Yeah, and one of them's Awaken Inner Creative Genius, Love and, and the Empowered Woman, <laughs> and Happiness Engineering. Yes. Yes, that and they're correct. great. Thank and you. I'm, I'm thrilled and surprised that you went through them. So. Well, you sent me all the things. So of course <laughs> I was going to like you. <laughs> dun, dun. Oh, right. Go team. <laughs> team Alley Catch. Yeah, and one thing that I that I love that you you also talk about this in your work is the the work of hypnotos. Uh, hip. Uh, I can't even talk today. Where's that cork? Where's that? <laughs> Uh, cork. Dr. Ali brought this cork over and he was like, here, put this in your mouth. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> what are we getting into <laughs> as a vocal warm up? So I'm like, okay, 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 I'm, I'm okay with this. <laughs> I demonstrate but, it first to be fair, right? Yeah, yeah. But you do, but you also do hypnotherapy. I do clinical hypnotherapy, yes. Which is fascinating. I've had um, the one time that I had an experience with a hypnotherapist was actually out at this, <laughs> it was at this uh, uh, festival mm -hmm. and I was lying in the grass and just mm -hmm. like talking to this new person that I met. And he was like, yeah, I'm a hypnotherapist. And I was like, oh my God, can you do that to me right now? And they did. And it was so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, and I sat up afterward, just like, whoa, what yeah. just happened? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's every time I use it, uh, every time I treat someone, I'm kind of amazed myself that it works because I'm like, all right, that was wild. I mean, for example, just uh, last week, I had a friend approach me and she said, look, I have a fear of heights and I need to uh, paint my house and be on like a 20 foot ladder for hours on end. Can you mm -hmm. help me? I'm like, sure. I mean, it's a very defined problem. Acrophobia, fear of heights. And she's had it for over 30 years. She got it when she was a teenager, you know, uh, and so the procedure itself took, I mean, we started at one, 
by 1.15, she didn't have a phobia anymore. She stuck her head out of fifth story window and said, this no longer causes me anxiety. Whereas 15 minutes ago, it caused her anxiety seven on the scale of one to 10. Mm -hmm. um, so these tools are available. These tools are out in the open. It just takes a really long time for the mainstream establishment to um, incorporate them. I mean, even like legitimate medicine that's been approved by the FDA takes on average 17 years to enter the mainstream. So you know, I consider it my mission to make these tools available to people to uh, heal themselves, not just fix stuff that's broken potentially, but also enhance their lives. I mean, better memory, um, you know, better sensitivity to, to taste, better feeling better sex, better orgasm, whatever you want a lot. There's a full range of possibilities here. Once you learn to train your own mind mm. and, and hypnosis is just kind of a window into the software of your own mind. I don't know how nobody knows how it works, but it kind of works. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like with the EMDR. Cause that's, that's what I do. I do EMDR therapy, yeah. which is a brain reprocessing technique. Yeah. It's like your fingers are moving back and forth and getting your left and right hemispheres of the brain, right. you know, connected. But what, what's amazing about it is how quickly it happens, how quickly it works, you yeah. know, moving, like you said, from a scale of 10 to one, yeah. like completely neutralizing a um, trauma or a memory. Totally. Here's somebody who was like super distressed a few minutes ago. And now they're like, I don't even remember what I was distressed about, which is kind of wild. Yeah. But very promising. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Ah! <laughs> so this, the mind is just so yeah. fascinating. Well, I always think that, you know, I've seen so many people suffer and I'm like, is this suffering necessary? And the fact is any traumatic incident, any phobic incident that happened, you know, 10 minutes before that you were fine. That didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So somehow the environment had an effect on your brain and you decided you created these patterns that were protective at the time, but like, say training wheels on a bike don't really serve you years down the road. So mm -hmm. if it didn't exist when you were born, that means you don't have, it doesn't have to exist when you die. That means you can rearrange those patterns. You can reconfigure the wiring, you can have new wiring. There's a way to freedom and happiness. Hence, mm -hmm. happiness engineering. Happiness. And speaking of trauma, yes. <laughs> dating can be traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The what? trauma of everyday life. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the, <laughs> and I think about that in dating, one of the number one, um, blocks or barriers to dating is this fear of rejection because uh, yes. we hold in our mind mm -hmm. these traumatic experiences. And I'm using the word traumatic because getting rejected, you know, can cause this sort of like visceral, like totally. in the body. And it registers in the same part of your brain as a poke in the eye. It literally hurts. Poke in the eye. Yeah. Let's I mean, not try that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've already got being dissed and being ghosted. Why do you need a poke in the eye? No, but it, I mean, they've done the MRIs. It literally registers in the same part of your brain as visceral physical pain. Yeah. So, uh, and that the reason for that, and you know, before people say, oh, I'm a terrible person. Why am I so susceptible to this? This is the way nature works. Uh, it used to be that we all lived in tribes and social rejection meant expulsion from the tribe meant bye-bye. That means your genes don't get sent to the next generation. That means evolution is selected very strongly against rejection, right? So mm -hmm. we're always careful. But now we live in these big societies where you really can't get expelled from the tribe anymore. But that remnant is there. Yeah. Uh, so you just have to get used to the new system of things and and realize that, hey, it's not as serious as it used to be. It still stings, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact is that it still continues to suck, but you can condition yourself to become less susceptible to the pain. And how do you do that? 
Like, how would you speaking to women mm-hmm. who are out there dating? Yeah. Because that's that's our topic of today. Yes. How would you help women to navigate that fear of rejection or lessen it? Well, you just have to realize it's really not about you. <laughs> what? Excuse what? Me? Wait, this is dating. This is this is exa- even when it's the most personal thing in the world. Even when somebody says, "I don't like you," you have to just realize it's not about you. And I know this is a big leap. Uh, however, people are coming to you with all kinds of crazy stories. Mm. You have no idea what kind of background they had. You have no idea what their mom or their dad did to them. How they were bullied in school, and so mm-hmm. they're bringing all those things to any relationship they have with another person. And so, however, it is that they're saying whether by, you know, deciding to not be with you or telling you off or whatever it is, they have their own stories. And that's what, uh, what that is. So that's, that's the first level. But really, the, what feeds into that is the whole notion of no self. And that's one of the central tenets of Buddhism and a lot of Eastern wisdom, which is that this whole notion of the self is really kind of slippery. I mean, does it even exist? Where does this self thing reside? Is it inside your, like, pinky nail is it inside your head is it nose and where is this self thing and mm-hmm. and the closer you examine this idea of self the more it tends to just vanish and uh, I've I started meditating 15 20 years ago and that has been the strongest thing in making me realize that really the self thing doesn't matter I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a little story like um, the other day one of my family members you know just said something terrible, like just very, very not kind, right? Uh, as in, you turned out poorly. And for the first time in a, in a long time, I kind of looked at that family member and I said, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And I realized it wasn't about me. Mm. It was about that family member's own history, own thoughts, own reactions. And it had absolutely nothing to do with me. So it just kind of it glided over. And I, and I was able to kind of step back and look at the thought as mm-hmm. just a thought. And, and that's what you get out of meditation, which is that, you know, your mind is like a TV screen, right? Mm-hmm. And there's certain programs running on the TV screen. But when you turn off the program, the TV screen is still there and it's just the TV screen. The TV is not the programming, right? And so your mind is like the TV screen and programs come on it, but your mind is is sovereign. Your mind is always there. And all the stuff that you see, these thoughts, they're not you. Mm. So what you're doing when you're meditating is you're just taking one step back, which is what in psychology they call a metacognition. So having thoughts about thoughts, having mm-hmm. thoughts about feelings. And when you step back, you're able to see the thoughts happening like, oh, isn't that interesting? And you mm. just take it less seriously. And so somebody says, mm, we're done, we're through, you know, it sucks, but mm-hmm. it sucks a lot less when you take that viewpoint yeah. and you're able to step back from it. And so, you know, it's still going to sting, but the recovery from the sting will be much faster. Mm. And you also have to realize that there is no choice. You have to make yourself vulnerable. You have to put yourself out there. You know, if you would like to stay in the corner of your living room, be a hermit, then you won't get rejected ever. But any kind of venture, any kind of thing you want, everything you want in life is outside your comfort zone. So Mm -hmm. if you, if it's inside your comfort zone, you either already have it or you don't want it. So if you want something by definition, it's outside your comfort zone, you have to exercise some kind of risk. And so guess what? The party begins every time you have to dare, you have to go out there and you have to do it. And meditation definitely helps. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been just 
beating this dead horse for years, but there yeah. is no way around it. Yeah. You have to meditate. It's like, oh, you know, I, I meditate sometimes. I do it in the end of Shavasana and yoga. It's like, no, no, actually sit down, do two <laughs> minutes, make those two minutes, three minutes, build that up to 20 minutes a day. It will change your fucking life. Yeah. And it has for me too. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's different types of meditation. There, You can do more than just blinking out your mind. We've got yeah. we've got some great episodes totally. on meditation, on how it improves our relationships. But but even um, moving type of meditation is is or breath work type of meditation, which is one that I, I love. Um, and I think another piece that goes along with what you're saying around rejection is Mm. this whole concept. I like to look at as it's not so much about, um, they're rejecting you. It's just an improper fit. So reframing it as we're just not a good fit. It's all about fit. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, as a guy who likes women, and in Los Angeles, there's a lot of bright, shiny objects. I'm like, oh, she's so beautiful. Must have. So I, I go after that. But so many times um, I have gotten that thing that I thought I wanted and found out that it really wasn't a good fit. And now I'm just like, wow, look, the mind's doing its thing again. It's mm. like it sees a bright, shiny object and just wants to chase. It's like it's like the dog that chases the car and it catches the car. It's like. Ooh, now what? Now, oh, car. Now what do I do? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now so, that you're there. So that's the thing, and and so much of this is about kind of distrusting your own thoughts. It's like your thoughts are just really not that accurate a measure of reality. And and the thought that I believe needs to be most distruck, uh, most distrusted is the one that says. I'm in love. And people seek that so much. Like, oh, I want to get uh, fall in love and get married. And to me, that's just like saying, you know what? I want to get really drunk and buy a car. And you're making this really big ticket decision in a state of absolute judgment compromise. It's mm. like you are just not thinking straight. And they've done the studies. You put your head in an MRI when you're in love. It looks exactly like a Coke addict's head. Yeah, no way. Yes. Oh my so, God. So yeah, so, and you know, having fallen in love enough times to know that this is the case, I mean, what happens when you fall in love is you take this person and you replace them with the projection of this idealized mate. It's like, oh, you are this, you are amazing. And for 18 months or so, it works because you're just so flooded and marinating in these amazing yeah. juices and you yeah. feel great. Oh and that's because yeah. the happiness engineer will tell you that your brain is not designed to make you happy. The brain just cares about two things. You survive long enough to reproduce. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So falling in love means you bond with another person and, you know, and stuff happens and babies pop out and revolutions, <laughs> evolution's like, okay, we're done. And then suddenly you wake up, you're like, who is the stranger with the smelly sm- socks on the uh, on the floor? And why am I with him? Not so, me, clearly. I mean, <laughs> that's never happened to either of us, right? I mean, um, so um, so this this idea of the because you talk about this in your book about this yeah. bright shiny object versus yes. like so like the form of yes. like chasing this form. Yeah. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So really, it's all about fit and. What you want is somebody who is a catalyst to your greatness, basically. So, Mm. you know, to a first approximation, what's the whole point of living? It's to give your gift to the world, right? We're here because we have certain talents and we want to give our gift to the world. So in the end, how do you make that happen is you want to associate with the kind of people who catalyze your ability to give that gift to the world, as opposed to some checklist that you think is going to be good for you. You hook up with the checklist and then that checklist somehow diminishes you or is very high maintenance or is just a difficult person to be with or puts you down. I've seen that happen many, many times. And I mean, it's just, it's astonishing because, you know, I see the pattern. It's like, oh, I even wrote about it in Huffington Post some time ago. I had a, actually, that's a good story. So I had this friend mm. um, 
And you know, this guy's brilliant, right? He went to like, you know, MIT and um, was a PhD in like physics. And, and he meets this woman who might just think is a very, very bad fit for him. And none of his friends like her. And she's very passionate. So she's a compliment to his, you know, very staid and conservative upbringing. But I'm like, this is not a good match. Mm. And so... Um, so I talked to him about it and he was not receptive. So I finally just wrote a thinly disguised article about him on Huffington Post. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the way to do it. <laughs> exactly, right? I got this irate phone call from him. Shut and up. he's like, I cannot believe you wrote that. I know this about me. I'm like, oh, I guess he is a pretty smart guy after all, right? But he did not disinvite me from the wedding or the bachelor party. So we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Uh, so I was there and I witnessed it. And, you know, I can tell you what happened 10 years later. She was crazy. Like clinically crazy and she threatened to kill herself uh reported mm-hmm. him to the police uh, said he was gonna like kill his kids um basically just very very unbalanced person and mm-hmm. you know it's possible that he has some happiness with his children and stuff but i cannot imagine that he could not have done better mm-hmm. but he was in love and he could not see beyond that and there you know and and trying to stop someone who's in love uh, with words is like trying to stop a tank with marshmallows. It's like, I threw the whole bag and it still didn't stop. Um, so, you know, it's tough. So you just have to be really, really on guard, which is why I'm meditating is so important because you're like, oh, I'm feeling that. And, you know, right now I probably feel like that way about five different women, but I'm like, oh, isn't that funny? As opposed to mm-hmm. must have, must go. Because I'm like, well, this one loves your boyfriend. That's not a good idea. So <laughs> Unless you're into that. <laughs> I mean, there are people who, are, who go for these specifically unavailable people because really they're afraid of intimacy. So they're like, oh, I'm just going to go for this person who's not available. Well, Um, that's even fascinating too because it um, actually may be a part of their erotic map. Totally. Yeah. And erotic maps are constructed kind of haphazardly and then we think oh this is who i am but really is that who you are is this the best version of you is this the happiest freest version of you when you have to like i don't know you know it has to be a certain weird arrangement that is difficult and in some other town and surreptitious and whatever it is that that turns you on right yeah, unavailability. It's the, the 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 point of um, anticipation and longing. We are, um, uh, you know, our our internal structure is is um, um, the eroticism is built out of that. Sure. Not for everybody, but for some people, for the in, unavailable. Right. So in this regards, this, we're talking about women who want. And want a partner, whether it's a man or a woman. Do you, in this book, you specifically talk about men. Yes. Yeah. It's okay. very heteronormative. It's, that's what I know about. <laughs> but it talks about the masculine and the feminine, the yin and the yang. And, and yin and yang, they're universal. So if you have a same-sex couple, some person is going to be occupying uh, the masculine pole, somebody's going to be occupying the feminine pole, and mm-hmm. sometimes that switch, switches around, but that's going to be true of any relationship. And, you know, in, in same-sex couples, they talk about, you know, the top and the bottom, they talk about, you know, one who's more butch, the one who's more, more femme. Mm-hmm. So these things still operate, and even though the book is specifically about heterosexual relationships, the principles still apply. Mm. And can you explain that that concept a little more about this, um, the yin and the yang? The yin and the yang. So uh, you've got um, Taoist philosophy. You may have seen this symbol, the the circle with the black and the white and the dot of black in the middle of the white field. Oh, yeah, I see it on little, the, all the hippie things. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> all those hippie things right there. So uh, and so that's called the, the Taiji Tu. And the Taiji Tu is about 
you know, there's a little bit of the feminine in the masculine, there's a little bit of the masculine in the feminine, and we all have both, right? And, and so feminine energy is receptive and masculine energy is that which projects, that's which, which goes outward. And, you know, in crudest form, you know, feminine, hey, vagina, receives things. And uh, masculine is penis, it projects outward. So uh, <laughs> and that is exactly the sound it makes, how did you know? So I've um, met a few penises in my time. <laughs> <laughs> Vocal ones, apparently. So maybe they need to do the cork trick. Uh, so stick a cork in it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, reeling this back to uh, to the thread. So so yeah, masculine energy is doing, and feminine energy is being. And we're using both all the time, but the question is, which one are you using in which kind of situation, right? So mm. one of the premises of the book, which is always one that gets some controversy, is like, look, you know, if you are a woman, right, mm -hmm. then, and if you're interested in a guy, the mm -hmm. guy is interested in your womanliness, mm. right? Not how good a facsimile of a guy you can make, right? So, and the simplest way to understand that is like, hey, you've got some guy and he's like, oh, girlfriend, let's go shopping. Oh, I got this, you know, velvet cape. It's so nice. And uh, I mean, you know, if a guy asks super duper feminine, how attractive is that to a woman? For most women, maybe not so much. What's your, what's your take? Actually, I tend to go for men who are more of the very sensitive, artsy kind of, yeah. So I, you know, I don't ascribe to the, the black and whiteness right. of it, but yeah. But you can see how for most women, some guy saying, you know, say, you know, a guy says, oh, you know, I can't decide. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? So just the whole idea of a guy being feminine will drive most women nuts, mm -hmm. right? With some exceptions. Uh, and so in the same way, uh, a woman who is very strong at work, I mean, the simple example I have is like, you know, if you're, if you're a police officer, right? If you're a police officer, mm -hmm. you come back from work, are you still going to be a police officer to your kids, right? Or are you going to be dad or mom, which is a slightly softer version, right? So the idea is that in uh, the book is, I wrote the book for smart, strong women. Um, and these are women who run the world and more and more that is what's happening. I mean, you know, Angela Merkel, chancellor of, of Germany, uh, Theresa May, although don't like her that much, she was prime minister. Uh, and, and that's fantastic. And that's amazing. However, in your intimate relationship with a man, right? If he's CEO, do you want to bring your CEO to the table? Or do you want to bring partner to the table? So, so, but CEO can be really sexy. Like I'm CEO, having oh. this like super kinky image in my mind of like the CEO and she comes in and she's like slaps the thing on the desk. She's like, give me the profits. Well, I mean, <laughs> profit look, report. I, I wrote, I wrote this book because I am into smart, strong women. I mean, if a woman's smart, great. If she's strong, even better. Right. So to me, that's a huge turn on. The idea is not to turn that off in any way, but mm -hmm. rather to inhabit the femininity too. Right. Mm. The receptivity. And so there's, the receptivity is the ability to kind of feel everything. Right. Mm. And the more a woman kind of gets into her body, the more a woman can like completely feel the universe, uh, whether it's through sight, sound, smell, touch. That is a thing that a man cannot resist. Mm. So. I would say that that goes beyond gender, though, because yeah. I'm super attracted to men who are in their bodies. Sure. Because they're in their, yeah, in their feeling bodies, totally. which is so hot. And I'm like, Absolutely. Oh. And, and, this, and this polarity is what makes things hot and juicy. So the idea yeah. is that 
polarity, you've got the high and you've got the low and you got, you know, water flows downwards, doesn't yeah. go up, right? If it's flat, the water doesn't flow, right? You have, you have a cathode and you have an anode, you've got posit positive, negative, and that's how you get electron, you get electricity, yeah, right? Yeah, if they're yeah. both positive, they repel, nothing happens. Yeah. Uh, south pole, north pole, magnet, same thing. They attract, but if you have both south or both north, it doesn't work. So uh, these, these are kind of natural principles. And the idea is that whatever your partner is inhabiting, you want to have this dance, mm -hmm. this is a partnership mm -hmm. on the dance floor. And if one person leads and the other one follows, both people have more fun. Yeah. And you're welcome to change the lead. Just know who's leading and who's following. If both people try to lead, not so much fun. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, yeah. I can see that. And um, now I used to talk about different types of polarities of in like, you've got the masculine feminine energies there, but then also like the concept of power yes. differentials and then also light and dark. Yes polarity of light and dark you know good guy versus bad guy <laughs> that's a fun game <laughs> is it the same guy oh. it could be that could be even more kinky mm. or fun switch between characters but when right you say now, bad guy I mean are we talking like real bad guy with like a felony record or like faux bad guy just just playing the role I was talking about role play but okay <laughs> <laughs> no because you know that's a thing I mean they have these guys on death row who get who get like mash notes who get love letters all the time that's true yeah so there's something about like this masculine presence which is super attractive and there's a reason why romance novels are a multi-zillion dollar industry mm -hmm. yeah and yeah people read them by the dozen yeah so it's really cool in your book how much you bring in the eastern philosophy eastern uh, wisdoms yes. into this modern mm -hmm. day world yes and what i was following in there is you introduced these i think it's five mm -hmm. these five principles yeah. for dating for women to remember yes the five principles all right so the first principle is what I call wealth consciousness or abundance consciousness. And that means that look around you. There is stuff. You can't point out to no stuff, right? You can't point to the void. Everything around you is stuff. And so in the same way, you are part of this universe of stuff, of abundance. And whatever you want, there's a massive amount of it out there, including great partners. Okay, mm -hmm. and, and the numbers are very straightforward. There's three and a half billion guys out there. Chances are one of them is a pretty good fit for you. So keep on looking. And there's enough to go around. Uh, the second is what I call the be, do, have mentality, which is that a lot of people think, oh, you know, if I have a boyfriend, then I can do all the stuff that couples do and I'll be happy. Mm. And mm -hmm. I'm saying, yo, why don't we start with happy, right? Mm -hmm. The point is to be happy. So just be happy, choose to be happy mm -hmm. and then do the things that happy people, fulfilled people do. And then guess what? Out of that positive energy that you're radiating all the time, the great guys are going to show up and they're going to want to be around that. Everybody's going to be, want to be around that. Who doesn't want to be around yes. that kind of vital force? Yes, yes, yes. You said that in the book too. And I was like, I highlighted it and I was, and I did a star and then I did another star and I was like, fuck yes. <laughs> but it was like, <laughs> we all want to be around people who make us feel good. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Which, <laughs> which I can think about it in some of these yeah. past, you know, relationships and stuff like that of like, okay, at the tail end of it, things weren't going well and yeah. they no longer felt good to be around me or vice versa, yeah. which makes sense why we wouldn't want to continue to move towards something that doesn't feel good. 
that's crazy. Why would you not want to do that? I don't know, masochist. <laughs> but people do that. It's like, no, I must make this painful thing work. It's like, but I how love about him. somebody else, right? <laughs> how about any one of the other people in the world who have not made you miserable? But yeah. hey, yeah. who am I? Who am I to say that? But yeah, this actually, when people ask me, hey, can you summarize your 280-page book in one minute? Uh, so this is what I tell them. I tell them, look. I've gotten 5,000 letters from women over the past 10 years, and all of them have the same question in them. It's one question and one question only, and that question is, am I enough? And the problem is that that is the wrong question because mm. you're coming from a place of inadequacy, of trying to prove that somehow, oh, you're worthy of what, who knows what, right? Mm. And what I say is that instead of that, just be the thing that's radiating out energy into the world. Nobody can take away your power to make somebody else feel like a million bucks. Nobody, nobody can take away your power to praise someone, elevate them, and make them realize their true amazing selves and what their gift is, right? And if you walk around doing that all day long, you are going to start glowing because we're hyper-social beings. When I say something that makes you feel good, I feel good. And when I feel good, I'm going to feel great. I'm going to start to radiate. I'm going to start to glow. You become the radiant goddess. People are going to be around that. It's like, who is that glow in the dark hmm. girl? I want to be around that That's all day cat. long. That's Dr. Cat Meow. That, right, right there. there. <laughs> right there. Uh, and, uh, and when you have that, you just solve a whole bunch of problems at once, right? You feel great. So you are the bee, right? Mm -hmm. And you're doing the things that make you feel good and making other people feel fantastic. And then you will have this circle of people who just want to be around that positive energy because that is just contagious and magnetic. Mm, yes. So that's yes. principle number two. Principle number three is enlightened self-interest. And this is in contradistinction to just pure self-interest or just pure enlightened. So it's both. So the idea is that, look, what tends to be good for you in the long run tends to be the best decision for you in general and everybody around you, right? So if you go for the short-term solution, the shortcut's like, oh, I'll just hook up with this one guy this once, even though I know he's bad for me. Okay, that has long-term consequences that you cannot foresee. So go for the enlightened self-interest. Wait, what do you mean? Why does that have bad consequences? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh. Nothing bad's ever come from that. So. I mean, sometimes it's not, though. Mm. Right? As long as you're being highly aware of yourself amid this process. Well, you know, it's... The, I like to use the metaphor of food in these cases. And the idea is... You know, there's food and then there's like processed food and then there's junk food and there's like junk food that's really tasty. So cheesecake, right? Cheesecake every once in a while and you know what you're getting yourself into and you just ran that morning for an hour is fine. Cheesecake as a diet is not going to work out well. Mm. So, and you may think, oh, but it's so rich and so tasty and so creamy and so sweet and you will be fat and sick after five meals of just cheesecake. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the thing. And look, every once in a while, indulgence is good as long as you know you can contain it, right? Mm -hmm. But some people just can't. They're like, well, this guy, you know, I thought it was just going to be a fling, but oh my God, he turned out to be so interesting and, and I've mm -hmm. seen it again. And you know, this has happened to me, so I know how this works, right? Sure. One thing leads to another. So, uh, and, you know, this is part. So, for example, I don't play video games. Yeah. 
And the reason I don't play video games is because I know what happens when I play video <laughs> games. I get stuck. I'm like, oh, video games is like this incredibly attractive thing. This is how the dopamine circuits in your brain work. And it's mm -hmm. like super addictive. So, so it's about knowing yourself exactly. and knowing your relationships to, to said cheesecake. And yes. how, how cheesecake has an influence on you and being real, yeah. like honest about this stuff. Totally. And yeah. not bullshitting with disillusion. Yeah. And again, meditation has helped a lot because, you know, everything that you do is has an opportunity cost, right? If I hook up with uh, interesting but perhaps slightly imbalanced woman who's not very good for me, right? That is taking away from my time with somebody who could be a lot better for me, who mm -hmm. helps me give my true gift, who helps me, I don't know, launch my next big project, write my next book, or even for me to just sit down and write a book or read a book. So there's always opportunity costs. And you just have yeah. to just have to know what the cheesecake is and what the crack pipe is. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Calling it like it is. Snap, crack snap. Pipe. Yeah. Uh, okay, so enlightened self-interest is a tough one. Uh, so the fourth is uh, feminine masculine uh, polarity so we talked about the yin and the yang mm -hmm. and the fifth is probably the most challenging one is the idea of getting out of your own way oh. and so much of what we attribute to oh the world is you know crashing down on me it doesn't let me this thing happen I'm unlucky it's actually us and the thing is <laughs> the more you kind of blame the world or other people the more you're disempowering yourself so mm -hmm. I just say whatever happens take complete responsibility right so a mm -hmm. friend of mine recently, you know, she, she broke up with her fiance and, you know, I listened to the story and I, when I first met them uh, together, I'm like, this is a total mismatch. What the hell is going on here? But what do you say? Right. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. congratulations or something. Yeah, right? right. And, and it turned out utterly disastrously, like, you know, restraining orders, all everything. Um, and, um, and the idea was that, you know, who was responsible for that? She can say, oh, this guy was horrible and this these other people enabled him, blah, blah, blah. But then does that make you more powerful? Or you can sit back and say, wow, I made these choices and these are the circumstances under which I made these choices. And I made them, therefore I am responsible because I have power. And from now on, I'm going to exercise that power in a way that is more conducive to my flourishing and growth as opposed to committing to a guy who is definitely not good for me. So, yeah. so the point is, even when it is somebody else's fault, still, if you take responsibility, that gives you power mm -hmm. and allows you to get better out of your own way. Because mm -hmm. most of the time between you and that thing, I mean, for example, I mean, simple practical example, you know, I, I go to bars and clubs and things. And I see women sitting in like a little cluster in the corner, right? And then I talk to them and it's like, hey, are you ladies single? Yes. Are you interested in meeting men? Yes. Why aren't you going and meeting them? They're right there. Like, well, you know, this, that, the other, you know, and, and basically it's childhood conditioning. Women don't do this, society, blah. There is no barrier between you and that thing that you want most of the time. There's no actual physical concrete barrier. You just have to walk over and get it or at least find out if you can get it. So getting out of your own way is a big part of just enabling your your desire to flourish and to get mm -hmm. things that you that may actually really enhance your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and coming back to the the fear of rejection there. Yeah. So we do these things to protect ourselves. Totally. Yeah. So that's that's another part of you. And the thing you have to understand is that people think there's this unitary self and there just isn't. What They're do you just, mean by that? So your brain is like a committee. In fact, there was a book written by Marvin Minsky some time ago called The Society of the Mind. And it's like a society. And it's deciding things and having these conversations in there. And it spits out a decision. You think it was you. But there's many different versions of you. Yeah. And there's these famous split brain, uh, split brain experiments pioneered by Roger Sperry and then Mike Gazzaniga. And 
you know, these are people who have their corpus callosum cut in half. So it's the, it's uh. the thing that divides, that connects the two hemispheres, right? Yeah. And so they actually function pretty well, but at the same time, there's some weird behaviors that they exhibit. And they do these experiments in them and, you know, they'll have one hand say, oh, I want to be an engineer. And the other hand saying, no, no, I want to be an artist. And the guy doesn't even know what's happening. What? There are different factions inside your brain. And so the goal of like mental health and wholeness is integration. It's for you to recognize these different parts and kind of reconcile them and have them to have them work together. Ah. Otherwise, you have that little part of you that's trying to, I don't know, make up for the loss of love or lack of love you have with your parents, fighting with the other part of you that wants to be like a dominant boss or something, yeah. right? There's, yeah, and yeah. there's always these internal conflicts. So uh, integration is the thing we're going for. And and once again, that's why the ability to step back and look at the thoughts and go, oh, look at the committee fighting. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. So. Yeah. I do this practice where in my journal, I write out all the different parts of the, all the different cats that are talking. <laughs> 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 there's a lot. There's, there's a lot. Many cats. You know, it's like the yeah. wounded self. The, yeah. the the part of me that just wants to see everybody do well. The yeah. part of me that, you know, and, and going through that. And it can be really enlightening because it's like, oh, shit. Like all these parts just want to protect me. They want to take care totally. of me. And they're, they're, they're pulling from these past experiences that it's been through. And... And to give each of those spaces, each of those voices space to be heard totally. and help us process way faster than Yeah, that's actually a great practice. And in in the book, I give like 19 different exercises where people do because the whole point is to change your neurology, change mm-hmm. the way you behave. And let's, if you just read through the book, great, but you know, information is not the same as transformation. So you have to actually do stuff to transform. Mm-hmm. And one practice I picked up recently, uh, courtesy of my coach, is this thing called uh, having a dialogue. So basically, mm-hmm. I sit down with a piece of paper and in alternate lines, I, I, I talk to a part of me. So, for example, mm-hmm. mean guy, the guy who puts other people down or or wimpy guy or, you know, or um, I don't know, lazy guy, just various factions, these various parts. And the crazy thing is you write this out and you have this dialogue and and you're having a dialogue with yourself. So you're like, mm-hmm. wait a sec, <laughs> who's, who's talking here? <laughs> 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 it's all very strange. But afterwards, it's like there's a reconciliation because by the end, like the, the, the other part basically shuts up. It's like, all right, fine. I concede, right? Uh, uh, it's fine. Uh, you're just something. Indeed. Indeed. And, and, that, and in meditation, that, that's the crazy thing. You're able to look at your own thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. And if I can look at an accident happening across the street... Am I in the accident? No, I'm looking at it, right? If I can look at a painting, am I in the painting? No, I'm looking at it. And so if you can look at a thought, is the thought you? No, Mm -hmm. because you're doing the looking. So the thought Mm -hmm. is not you. So again, cognitively, that's what happens. But Mm -hmm. you got to feel this in your bones. Mm. So so I love the perspective that you bring is all about, you know, as you're talking to women, helping themselves in the dating world, it's all about come internal, come into yourself, figure out what's going on in here Mm -hmm. that that you are creating your environment, Mm. creating the the outcomes. Yes. Um, There was another piece in the book that that I really liked and was about... um, 
Um, I love, I just love the whole book, but, um, it was about values. Values. Mm. Yeah. Values being these pieces that drive our actions, drive our decision-making drive, you know, who we want in our relationships and then even how to embody those ourselves that we expect in another person. Totally. Yeah. Values are like the hidden software of your brain. It's like, these are the things that really matter to me. And, Mm -hmm. and some, and these values can come through deliberate thoughts like, oh, you know, well, protecting the environment really matters to me. That's a Mm -hmm. big value for me. Or, you know, mutual flourishing is something that's really important to me. And sometimes they just get laid down because of youth uh, experiences in our youth when we were Mm -hmm. helpless. So for a lot of people, security is like this big value. And so, yeah, these people who have security laid down as a major value, but then they grow up and they say, oh, I'm really adventurous. And guess what? Security and adventure, they don't really mesh together very well. Right. Mm. Uh, And they want to be an entrepreneur. So they want to take risks, but they've got this like security program running in the background, which is really strong. And so they're like, oh, why don't I succeed as an entrepreneur? It's because they're getting in their own way. They're Mm. sabotaging themselves because there's only up to a certain point that they allow themselves to to go before it gets scary. Mm. So it's important to recognize what these things are in yourself and somehow, you know, work with them, unravel them and and do something about them as opposed to just letting them run your life. I mean, I know people, my family, um, who have had these programs running for like seven decades, right? (gasps) That was a long time. time so and you know you see people like this they go to their graves having had this thing that was laid down at age five and it's still running their lives Mm -hmm. not in a way that they want wow wow so then when it comes in regards to dating and having these uh, as a part of the relationship Mm -hmm. how can we harness the power of those to create so I think it's really important. So, so some people have a checklist of, oh, this is what I want in a person. But really what you want is somebody who fulfills your values. And first step is to just kind of go through a list of values and pick out the ones that are really important to you. I did so, it. You did it. Yay. Yeah. All right. Do you want to share it? Or do yeah. You know what oh, my were? God. Totally. All right. Let's do it. I'm going right. to tell the world about myself. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's, let's, let's get the top three at least. Um, playfulness. Playfulness. Uh-huh. Oh, three of them? Oh, my God. I don't know about Keep that. Keep going. <laughs> Freedom. It's, it's your show. You can... And I can do whatever. <laughs> I give myself permission to it's do whatever I want on my show. It's and you'll do what you want to. It's so true. I do what I want to anyway. Um, playfulness. Freedom. Yeah. Love. Yeah. Creativity. Fantastic. Caring. Mm-hmm. Self-development. Okay. Aspiration. Okay, good. And, and are those in order? And openness. No. Okay, good. So then, <laughs> so then, what you do is you ask, you know, uh, if you're doing it with a friend, if you're doing it yourself, you ask yourself, hey, of these ten, if I could have just one, what would it be? And then that becomes your love. One. Love. See, there you go. Most people say <laughs> love, right? And then you say, of the remaining nine, if I could just have one, what would it be? And that becomes your number two. So yeah. you go through those, and then suddenly you have a prioritized list. And then when you encounter someone, and you're like, oh, well. The playfulness thing is there, but the love thing is really not there. And you know, that makes it really easy to see that this is not going to go very far, yeah. right? Uh, and again, uh, I, you know, one of the things that uh, I talk about is, you know, the, the Mr. Right versus Mr. Right now. Uh, Or Ms. Right, Ms. Right, doesn't matter. But the point is, what are you signing up for? Are you signing up for fling? boyfriend or partner, right? And mm-hmm. these are three different nervous systems uh, that are running it, which are three different uh, hormonal systems, and it's also three different approaches. And so, you know, if you're signing up for fling and the guy has a lot of the playful, but not the love, cool, no problem. You want to play anyway. But if you want, if you're signing up for like, 
partner and this guy doesn't have your top three values and you're like Huh. I don't know about this. Exactly. <laughs> so it just clarifies your thinking so much and it makes mm. it easier. And um, and the key thing is to recognize the stuff and do it before you get into the relationship, before mm. it gets heavy. Because once you're in, this thing called loss aversion sticks in, uh, kicks in, and it's just really hard to get out. Because you're like, loss aversion is basically the idea that people will work twice as hard to avoid losing something that they already have yeah. than they are to acquire something that they don't have, right? So, and you, when, and you tend to overvalue something that you have. So you could be stuck in this, you know, uh, eight year, nine year relationship that really isn't that good for you, but you just can't get out of it. And mm. You know, it's also known uh, that battered wives, on average, it takes them nine tries to get out of a relationship, right? So they have to leave nine times. So if somebody who's getting a black eye, it takes them nine times to get out, guess what? Somebody who's just kind of in a mediocre so-so relationship, they may be stuck in it for a really long time, like mm. decades at a time. So so it's so important to just be very clear on who you are and what you want before you get into these situations. Yeah, know, know thyself. Yeah. And, and you know, the, it's actually not that difficult. So it took me a long time to figure out, figure this out. But once I figured out, I was like, oh, that was obvious. But mm -hmm. would you like to know how to know if a guy's right for you? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trick question. That was good. That was, that was a good deadpan. It's like, well, yeah, not really. I'm, it's like, yo, I'm giving the keys to the kingdom. Are you interested? <laughs> eh, I've already got kingdoms. <laughs> queendoms. All right. So. No, here's Have you seen my queendoms? <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is how it works, okay? The kind of person that is a good fit for you is the person who brings out your best self. We mentioned that there's very different versions of you, right? And for example, you know, I'm with one kind of friend and suddenly I'm feeling like a little snarkier and making mean comments, mm. I'm a little less patient, right? And uh, more critical about the world. And it's just, I'm like, oh, I don't really like this version of me, right? Yeah. And then with another friend, I'm like, I'm like oh my God, I feel so expansive and I'm cracking jokes. I'm more creative. Everything's just flowing. I'm a much better version mm. of me, right? So the right person is the kind of person who brings out the best version of you. So it's like this alchemy between you and this other person. Absolutely. And you know, and you know, and it's like instant, you feel their energy, you feel, and you know, and there are people who just like drain your energy away and you're yeah. like, oh, but I love him or her. And it's like, she's my friend, she's my buddy, she's my lover. I have to, and no, you don't have to. Life is short. You need to be around people who catalyze your greatness. And there is uh, no time to spare when it comes to that. And, you know, I'm guilty of this, too. It's like, oh, he's my buddy. I got to go hang out with him. But just the fact that I think of it in that way means that this is already not a good fit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just Ooh. just have to be. And that's when you really kind of dig into your intuition and you feel like viscerally because, you know, when somebody's draining your energy or giving energy to you. Right. Yeah. Somebody who's elevating you, somebody's making you feel like wow, the world is amazing and jumping around and just noticing all the colors and all the tastes and all the everything about, that's wonderful about life as opposed to, oh, this sucks. So That's so true. That's so true. It's interesting because there are some people that I'll be around and I'm like a dynamic person. Like I'm, yeah. I'm like like this energetic bunny and I'm yeah. like, blah, 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 blah. but there are some people that I get around and I get super quiet and tired. Yeah. And it's like, well, you're very attuned to your environment. So yeah. your ball of energy and this energy kind of adapts to what's there and it fits where it can. And so you, what you're doing is you're sensing them mm -hmm. and that's what's happening. And you're responding to that. So, you know, my solution to that is I just don't hang out with those people. Yeah. So I used to. Now I'm like, mm, I don't need that really. Do I need that? Yeah. Yeah. And again, knowing thyself. Yeah. yeah. And and one one hack that I found is very useful is to think of it not as 
oh, I'm doing this because it's good for me. And then, oh, that's self. No, do it for the world. The mm-hmm. world needs you to be the best version of you. Uh-huh. The world needs you to be able to give your best gift. And these people who bring you down, I mean, that's what's selfish. Hanging out with people who bring you down. I mean, I have all these, you know, amazing girlfriends who've hung out or married even guys who are like this, these energetic drains or these sinks of like black, dark energy. And I'm like, or I mean, actually, you know what? The best example I have is Whitney Houston. I mean, here's this brilliant woman insanely talented Mm -hmm. and she just decided that she's going to put all that into Bobby Brown are you fucking kidding me really is that the best investment of Whitney Houston's talent Mm -hmm. so don't pull a Whitney right so part of it is that so that we are often driven for this um, initial spark, this mm-hmm. initial chemistry. And yeah. we're like, oh, my God, that person. Right. And if it's not there and say we just had like a good conversation, yeah. a good hangout. And we're like, oh, yeah, but it's just not like the spark isn't there. Like, yeah. what are your thoughts around that? Excellent question. So my definition of love is a growing appreciation of a person over time as you get to know that person better and better. Right. Mm. And that requires investment and commitment. And that is in contradistinction to being in love, which is like this fireworks and things flying all over the place and wee and butterflies in your stomach. I mean, basically it sounds like an epileptic seizure. Right. So that is not the same as love. Love takes time. And the thing that is love, it can often turn up in a package that is completely different from what you're used to or what you're expecting, right? And the way you know it's a good fit is, again, you feel like your best self, right? And and you in turn are able to catalyze that person's best self. So you're not being like a leech on their life. You're It's a good fit, right? You're both adding something to one another's lives. And uh, the, the Western romantic narrative, unfortunately, is all about, you know, that sudden feeling and the chemistry and chemistry is real. It's what evolution wants. It wants you to smell each other and realize that your major histocompatibility complex is kind of meshed together. So your kids are going to have strong immune systems and they'll survive. Right. But that is not necessarily the thing that's good for your happiness. Right. So, and I look and I, and I emphasize that you should have sexual chemistry with whoever you're hooking up with. Yeah. Gotta um, so. Yeah. But not just sexual chemistry. Yeah. You should also look for the other things. Because if you have this person who's like an amazing catalyst to your growth and, and well-being and flourishing, but they just don't smell right, right? And I mean, the smell right, I'm not being I I'm have broken kidding. up with people because the smell just didn't resonate. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the smell right or just, you know, sexual incompatible, whatever it is, that has to be, that's the base you build from there. Um, so, uh, so love takes time and it takes deliberation. And unfortunately, in the short attention span world that we live here, that has become very difficult to do. I mean, you know, I don't know if you've read um, Phil Knight's biography. It's uh, called Shoe Dog, but it's amazing. It's one of the best uh, biographies, if not books, I've ever read. And he talks about the courtship with his wife and how she showed up to his business class. He was teaching at Oregon State. And he's like, oh, my God, who is this gorgeous girl sitting in the front row? This is driving me nuts, right? So it took him six months to, like, ask her to come and, like, work at his company. And then it took him another, like, three months for them to go on their first date. And then, you know, like, okay, now they're dating, right? Uh, but nowadays it's like, oh, 1.2 seconds, swipe, done, right? And yeah. You know, uh, and so just be aware that if you choose to participate in these apps like Tinder or all the other ones, right, you are agreeing to become a commodity. 
that's part of the contract. And if you commoditize yourself, then people are going to treat you as a commodity because that's what you're doing. When you do the swipey thing, that means you're taking people's humanity away from them. You're just becoming some mm -hmm. very small data point that can be disregarded. And no human is like that. People are just much more complex and you just got to give them time. Um, the good news is that any one person can be a good match if you choose. I mean, I think love is basically a choice. You kind of say, okay, this person could potentially work out. And, you know, there's any number of good enough partners out there. There is no soulmate. And everybody in the end is going to be some measure of molding to one another, some measure of making one, one another compatible. There are people who are like terrible matches to start with. For example, convicted felons. Don't go for those. Um, but in the end, any number of people could be a potential match. And what actually makes us happy is not an excess of choice, like you said, the paradox of choice, but commitment. You commit to something. I don't care what it is. Just commit to it, right? You commit to playing violin. You commit to um, getting to know this person deeply. You commit to, um, I don't know, cooking this dish well, learning how to do that. But this bouncing around, this uh, panoply of false choice that's been given us, like thousands of people at a time you swipe, that's just going to drive you crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if we don't if we don't choose powerfully in that moment to see everything that we can, or then we're already sabotaging that potential. Totally. Yeah. How would you describe the difference between good enough and mm. settling? Oh, settling. That's, that's good. So I, I think of settling as more like, uh, going for a less than ideal solution, which I guess is also what good enough sounds like. Um, settling kind of sounds like giving up to me. And, and I encourage everybody to just maintain their discernment at all time. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. this person can, can be a potentially good match. The thing is, you're always going to have somebody who's potentially better out there. I mean, if mm -hmm. there's a choice of amongst 3 billion other people, you know, chance that you found the best possible one is basically zero. Mm -hmm. So you're always kind of settling, right? The point is to make the best of what you have with that person once you have that good enough partner. Mm -hmm. And there's no way of, you know, even if you found that person who's supposedly better, you have no idea how it's going to work out. This is what's so tricky about desire, which is desire is this like thing that projects into the future that nobody has access to, right? You see that bright, shiny object and think, oh, Here's the solution. Here's the person who's going to be my savior or something. Maybe even your deep unconscious, you're saying that you don't even know it, but you just don't know. So you find the person who's good enough, who has your values and you see what happens. It's all one big experiment. And you know what? You could be wrong, but you did what you, you did your best and you chose with open eyes, with an open heart and you went for it and it didn't work out. And that's cool. And that's, what's great about life. You get to dust yourself off and try again. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, you know, use your discernment and go for the thing that's good. And if, and look, if you think you're just going to be constantly looking around going, Oh, better deal over there. Maybe you're not ready for that commitment, right? Yeah. Maybe you should just continue to be in play mode, which is totally fine. I mean, I have futzed around for most of my life and probably <laughs> am still futzing around. Um, but when you do connect with somebody, give it your full attention because mm. you're basically short shrifting yourself if you don't. Because everybody you meet is like this portal to a whole new universe of experience and and, and joy and 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 stories and, and potential. So uh, if you're not giving it your all, then um, you're always just kind of having some hors d'oeuvres, but never really getting to the main mm -hmm. course. Yeah, entertaining these or potential. Yeah, entertaining these potential outcomes that don't exist. Yes. And comparing that to what is. Absolutely. Right what is is right here, right now. And why would you pass that up? And and that's kind of like one of the uh, 
big things I emphasize in happiness engineering, which is like, look, happiness is now. I mean, uh, so one of my, my favorite concepts from, uh, from Tantra, from um, Kashmiri Tantra is, is the idea of spanda. Mm-hmm. So spanda is the vibratory frequency of the universe, the, the cosmic energy, and everything is vibrating. So you have sound, that's vibrational energy, right? Sound mm-hmm. is air vibrating. Uh, warmth, heat, that's molecules vibrating. Uh, electromagnetic radiation, that's obviously vibration. So all these things are vibrating. And so, and the, the, the tantrics say that, you know, you have a choice to plug into that at any moment because you are made of that. Your fingers are made of molecules that are vibrating. You're sending electricity through your body. So if you plug into the cosmic energy of vibration, the spawn of the universe, boom, you are in ecstasy. If you fully feel your senses, if you fully hear what's happening, if you go into that uh, connection with your surroundings completely, guess what? You could live in bliss every minute of the day. Most people can't handle that. It's like, ah, too much overload. But mm-hmm. as you do that more and more, you kind of open the channels and the and the and the gateway so that you can actually feel that and mm-hmm. you can have bliss at hand all the time. Feeling it. Feeling it right Boom. now. Is feeling you, that bliss. All right, let's do it. Let's, let's close your eyes and imagine that you have these, these plugs here, right? They're like electricity plugs, electricity plugs into the cosmic electricity. And you just kind of put your hand, boom, in there and feel it. Take a deep breath and imagine that you are engulfed in, and your hands are just poof, feeling the electricity moving up your arms, up your head, into your head, then down your body, all the way down into your toes. So you are vibrating with cosmic energy, which you were already, it's just now that you're paying attention to it. Mm. It feels so much more alive. Now imagine walking around like that and going to the bars and going to the clubs like that. Boom! Uh-huh. You'll, you'll be electrocuting people left and right. Who, oh who can resist this, right? This yeah. is the thing that is most irresistible in you is your vital energy. And the more you mm-hmm. cultivate that, the more people want to be around them because that's it. That's what there is. Liveliness. People yes. want to feel alive. Nobody wants to feel dead. So this is all so amazing. I wonder if there's some a little nugget of gold that you can leave for our listeners as they move about their day. Mm-hmm. Well, recently I've been thinking that uh, what makes for an adult? What is like the skill that makes you an adult? And I keep on coming back to one thing, and that is emotional self-regulation. So the idea of being able to choose how you feel at any moment in time, independent of circumstance. And some people think, oh, that's weird. Well, bad stuff happened to me. Therefore, I have to feel terrible. Or, hey, I'll just wait for something good to happen to me. And, you know, the world is not going to bend itself to your whim to make you feel good. That's up to you. And no matter what happens, you have choice. You have choice to decide how you want to feel in a given moment. And the thing that allows you to do that, it's just like fitness for your body is what makes you be in shape. Meditation for your mind is what makes you be in a state of good mental fitness. So you can Mm. emotionally self-regulate. And that way, you know, when the breakup happens, you're cool, you're resilient, which then in turn makes you more willing to put yourself out there, take risks and find a thing that actually makes you happy. So emotional self-regulation, Yes, I totally agree. I love that. And being able to, there's so much power in being able to, you know, um, uh, calm ourselves down so totally. that we can better more clearly yeah. and connect with others. Yeah. I just read this book called Three Women by Lisa Today, which is very interesting. Um, you, may, you may want to be interested, but it's about, you know, the the erotic lives of these three women. And, you know, there's so much intensity and, and passion and 
uh, and it's an amazing book. But what I really noticed in the book was that there was so little emotional self-regulation happening. Mm. And these people were suffering because of the situations that they were in. And it's like, you know, a little bit of yoga, a little bit of meditation, a little bit of walk in the woods, a little bit of exercise. All these things, they allow you to control how you feel and to aim your existence towards your greater well-being and wealth uh, and flourishing. Because guess what? The world needs your gift, baby. Mm hmm. Amen to that. Yeah, yeah. And how can people find your gifts? <laughs> yes. So uh, we have in the show notes a link for you to a page where you can download a whole bunch of stuff. So I have included a 45 minute uh, uh, audio booklet of my top 10 tips from the Dial of Dating. So you're welcome to go download that. And there's also uh, an experimental hypnosis uh, track. Yay! Uh, which you may want to play with and it's all about kind of experiencing hypnosis and also using it to enhance pleasure because that's one of the things you can do. You can use it to feel even better mm. every day. So yeah, a bunch of goodies for you uh, on Kat's uh, show notes. Yay. And where can they find you? Oh, they can find me. So uh, you can find me at taoofdating.com, T-A-O of dating.com. Uh, you can write to me at Dr. Ali B. That's D-R-O. A-L-I-B at TaoOfDating.com, T-A-O-OfDating.com, and also on HappinessEngineering.com. That's my other, other stuff. And yes, please send me questions. I'm always happy to answer. I do my best to answer every question that I get because mm. usually if you've taken the time to ask it, that means it's important. Yes. Oh, I love it so much and how you're showing up for this world and, Thank and, you. and helping me, people navigate through this complexity. Hallelujah. Yeah. Uh, giving people the tools to heal themselves. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. This was really enlightening. Thank you, Dr. Cat. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, lovers. So thank you again for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please head to eplaysex.com, subscribe to the show, connect with us, and grab our sexy guides. Because our goal here is to help you to eat, play, and sex better. So you can improve your sex life which we all know improves every aspect of your life. I'll see you next time on Eat, Play, Sex. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You can find out more about our guests and topics from our show by checking out eatplaysex.com. Until next time, don't forget to nourish your sex life.